Keep Listening is a production of WREO News and part of the Capital Broadcasting Company Podcast Network. Hello, I'm David Crabtree. Welcome to Keep Listening. This podcast is designed with interesting people sharing viewpoints that might not be exactly what you're thinking. People you might not otherwise talk with or encounter in your daily life. However, connection can happen when we all keep listening. My guest today, two young people from the Raleigh area, Walid Gerard and Zainab Baloch. That last name may sound familiar to a lot of people. Not that yours doesn't, Walid. <laughs> But Zainab ran for mayor recently. So welcome, both of you, to keep listening. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're thank super you. excited. Yes, you know, yes. we were in a conversation um, recently at the mosque here in Raleigh. We were having lunch. By the way, for people who've never done that, I tell them you're really missing out on something in life mm -hmm. by not spending time in a very welcoming community that happens to be a Muslim community. Mm -hmm. But both of you shared with me something that has resonated deeply since then. And I'm paraphrasing, but basically you said the two worst days of your life was September 12th, the day after 9-11, or maybe even that day, and the day after the election in 2016. Mm -hmm. Elaborate on that. Yeah, um, I would add... Uh... February 10th, 2015, the day of the Chapel Hill shootings. Um, but uh, the reason I said September 11th, I was in fifth grade when that happened. And I remember not knowing uh, what was going on and none of our teachers would tell us. And within an hour, we were released from school and our parents were asked to pick us up based off of the threats and um, the threats of vandalism that were coming um, at our masjid in Raleigh, North Carolina you know, hours away from the attack. And I remember being in the room, I was in fifth grade, and we had one African-American male teacher um, in that school. And he told us, he was like, he told us what happened. And then he told us, your lives are about to change forever. Um, your identities in this country are going to change forever. And they're going to come for you time and time again. I remember there were some kids crying. And um, Dia Barakat actually was in my class, one of the Chapel Hill shooting victims. And it was an intense moment. I, I keep thinking back is that he knew as an African-American the struggles of this country and what was going to happen based off of his own experiences. And I think we've never, I personally have never talked about that experience until this year because of the stigma around bringing another experience on such a tragic event in this country. When he said to your fifth grade ears, they are going to come for you time and time again. Did you intuitively know at that tender young age what he meant? No, I, th I thought he meant that this whole country was under attack and they was an outside force. It was when I got into college and high school when I realized that he meant us as Muslim Americans, not us as Americans. Have they come for you time and time again? I mean, our lives changed after fifth grade. That's when we had to decide what our identities look like in this country, a completely different narrative that our parents had. We were put out in the forefront. I had to either, you know, stay low or I had to have more confidence than everyone else to be strong in my identity. And how did you, and you're a confident young woman. How did you learn to be confident? 
I would say I had to. Um, it, it was either having to stay low or having to be confident. And that the thing is, I had to fight so many battles for myself to stand up for my rights, but also my parents. Like they made sure that I learned that I could do anything in this country if I put my mind to it. Um, because this was my country. This is where I was born and raised. And they gave me that confidence to not, um, really not just back down, but that our faith teaches us to stand up for ourselves and to stand up for others. And I kept that going. Well, lead. where were you on September 11th? Heavy, heavy topic to start the day with. But uh, to really, the interesting that the effect of it was global because I was in Jordan at that time. I was also in fifth grade, but I was after school because there's the six hour difference. And I was studying for my math test. I had a math test. I think it was Tuesday and the next day was Wednesday. We had a math test. And I was just on, on the front of the TV, and I remember just as soon as it happens, all channels switch to the news. My mom was preparing food, and when she saw it, and I was like, I kind of got confused. I was like changing channels, and, and, and it was all the same. I didn't know what was going on. I was young, and I thought it was a movie or something. But then my mom noticed, and she turned off the TV, and I could feel the tension, the stress. It's like something happened, something not good. There was tension in the air. My mom started picking the phone, calling other people. We, uh, we have family that live here. And, and it was just like a matter like it, it, it affected everyone. No matter where you, you are that day, it kind of was easy to remember what happened. And you were in Jordan. but I was. When did you uh, move permanently to North Carolina? After the first year of college, I was around 19, 19 and a half. I have an interesting background. I was born in Raleigh, actually, at Rex Hospital. Grew up overseas in Jordan. Uh, finished high school, the first year of college, and I came here, uh, Wilmington, uh, in the mountains. Then I stayed. I stayed to North Carolina. I stuck back to where I was born. But definitely that day is no matter where you are. I think most people remember it very vividly and very clearly what happened. And then we fast forward. Or maybe it didn't seem so fast uh, for the ensuing fifteen years mm-hmm. to election day in November of 2016 and both of you also said to me that was a life altering day what did you mean by that hmm. uh after the elections uh uh i guess it was just another uh reminders like where we are uh that we have a lot still to go forward and and to do and sometimes like maybe things were not as obvious on the surface for a minute uh, that we need, a lot of people are struggling uh, uh, to connect to other people. We have a disconnect between a lot of communities, and there was, like, work to do. There was a connection, but also there was a disconnect. That sounds pretty sanitized uh, compared to what we were talking yeah, about I, at lunch that day. Uh, Zainab? Um, I was, Wait, are we talking about? Like, 2016, the day after um, President Trump was elected, um, I will say that I felt hurt. I felt painful. I felt angry um, because since 9-11, all I did personally was work towards changing this narrative of what the country saw us as. And for me to think that after all of that, that this president was elected on hate, that all of that didn't matter, that regardless, this country didn't see us any differently, pissed me off. And the next day, we weren't 
celebrating a new president. We weren't talking about that. We were organizing because we knew there was the hate crimes were going to increase in schools. We knew that my siblings, who I thought wouldn't have to deal with these issues, are dealing with them now and are continuing to deal with them. And they're even higher than post 9-11. And I find that disgusting. And for a while, I think it really made a lot of people lose hope. And right now it's it's shifting back because I feel like we have more allies and people are more aware of it. But after that day, I will say I, I lost hope in my country and in a place that I've always called home and felt proud of. And I was like, OK, people still don't see me as American. And that was very disheartening and yeah. 60, 63 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. Had he lost those 63 million Americans who voted for him were still here yeah. with, with some, and I'm not impugning all 63 million of them, but as you've said, we could see what had been bubbling under the surface mm -hmm. and it was affirmed to have those beliefs. Is that, is that the way you interpret the election? Yes. In a, in a big way for me, it was, that's when I said there's a lot of work to do. It wasn't, it wasn't that as bad as that we need to have more connections, that we have work to meet other people. We have work to break the barriers of assumptions, the barriers uh, uh, of making up thoughts that are not real or making up conclusions and facts and that most of it is, is not coming from the right place. And that's the thing. It was like, how do we break these assumptions and rewrite a narrative that is better, a narrative that is true? And that's why I said there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people that came together because there was the need for unity and people to like, we need to know each other. We need to to care for our neighbor. We need to think as families that we live on the same area. We live in the same county, in the same state, in the same country. So it was just a matter of like, we have been disconnected for a minute and we need to actually be more connected. Like there's a connection, but we need to actually break the barrier of assumption and the barrier that people has made up from Whatever, news, listening to other things. It's a lot of things. But that when does the responsibility also fall on the other side? It does. I say, I would say for me, I feel it's it's like it's a both approach. Like they have to take a step. Anyone that doesn't have the information and knowledge and also people like me, I have to like take a step and like be willing to open the same. Yeah. But Zainab said just a moment ago, uh, the people here, there are people here, here yeah. in this area that at times treat you as if you're not American, mm -hmm. that you're not from here, quote, mm -hmm. end quote. Waleed, do you sense that same thing? To be honest, it's a lot less for me. Uh, and just why is that? Because Zainab is a very <laughs> obvious Muslim. She wears the hijab, uh, which is uh, in itself is, is, is like, it's obvious. It's uh, to, to take the, the, the daily struggle to keep her identity and to wear the hijab that is obvious in a country that sometimes seems very unwelcoming to people who don't look like a specific way and a specific like color, race, stuff. Um, for me, I look like a white guy with a beard. Uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, I guess, uh, it's just ha it just happened to be that I can blend you in. You can blend in. What words? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it's, it's sometimes, even though I don't blend in, sometimes in school at the beginning, you know, I'm learning, my English is getting better and all of that. Sometimes people just make fun of like, oh, my accent or like, oh, I have a different accent to get curious and stuff. But it was not in a negative way in the college environment. We'll be back right after this. 
I want to talk about one more thing that uh, you said we could talk about this that I know is painful to you before we go into an area that will be more hopeful. The Chapel Hill shootings, Mm -hmm. you lost friends there. There is no doubt in your mind, Zainab, this was a hate crime. And and it's painful for you, not only the loss, but the fact that it's not being prosecuted as such, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's extremely painful. I think that was the most shocking thing I've ever dealt with in my life. Um, like I said, I went to school with Dia since third grade. He was my best friend in college. Um, and to think that people who I knew to have such beautiful souls could be killed in hate, not even killed, executed within 30 to 60 seconds. I was in that trial room and heard that video, and I will never forget it, and I regret not walking out then. But I think that was a wake-up call for our community. It was a wake-up call for me that this could happen anywhere, and it happened here. It was not just a national tragedy. It was an international tragedy, and I think it held us as a community more accountable to figure out a way to overcome this. It made our community more resilient, but I will say it it created some more mistrust um, and recognize that still in this place where you have people who are giving their lives to community, to doing good, to service, that that wasn't enough. That didn't make them American enough. And that was very disheartening. But I will say it it is what brought our community back together. You ran for mayor. Yes. So you were out in the public being vulnerable listening very openly and very forcefully stating your positions on things of what you wanted to see for this community. How was that experience? So I think it was very different than 2017. In 2017, my sign was defaced with, you know, terrorists, Trump, a swat. In 2017, you ran for city council, the city council. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, sand and then the N word. And in this election, I realized that I had a message that no one else had. Um, I had a, as a woman, as a woman of color, had a privilege to speak out, um, be more confident. And I use that confidence in a way to spread that message. Um, I believe we changed the conversation in this election. We brought to issues to light that have never been talked about in Raleigh. So like really pushing, you know, poverty, most vulnerable people, um, our sentiment against immigrants, um, Muslims, and that we've never been acknowledged in this city, even though we've been here for decades and decades, because we're a group that's so stigmatized that politicians tend to just stay away from it rather than have that controversy of what comes with being Muslim and an immigrant. Do you feel more embraced? I feel more um, that our voices do have a power and that we there's more embrace people recognize Mm -hmm. that people listened that it wasn't just muslims who listened that it was people from the black community the hispanic community from the lgbtq plus community and that they felt that same way because i wasn't going out there and putting narrative like vote for me because i'm muslim i said vote for me because my faith and morals are needed in this city because we need to uplift the people who have always been ignored your mother's very proud of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she told a colleague of mine, Deborah Morgan, recently, mm-hmm. not only was she proud of you running, but what she has heard and you have heard from young women since you ran, that you have inspired young people, Muslim or not, to be more involved in the community. 
Yeah. And specifically local politics. It's something that people didn't even recognize before. And it's always a little bit hard to accept. But I get messages all the time from Muslim and honestly, more non-Muslims that say, you've inspired me to do better. You've inspired me that this is possible, that I I have always thought about this, but I didn't think it was a possibility as a young person. And to me, I think that shows that we accomplished a lot um, and that we opened up doors and broke glass ceilings that people had never recognized before. I was the first woman of color to ever run for Raleigh mayor in history. Uh, Waleed, a, a moment ago, you talked about something that, that really got my attention when you talked about your neighbors mm-hmm. and community. I know something that's very important to both of you is getting to know the people who are your neighbors and for those people to know you. How's that working out for you? It's going well. It's going well in a way. Uh, there's been a lot of momentum after the shooting that happened. Zainab running for, for city council and mayor, I do have to mention a very good point that most of the team was millennials. Most of the team. And then the numbers at the end of the race, this race, was over 10,000 people believed in Zainab and the message she had. And to, to notice that, and a lot of it were from the younger generation, and that was the focus. And to see that there's people who believed in the message she brought and like um, the younger generation is taking a step forward to bring people together. And that's when I say like, oh, we're trying to know your neighbor, know your neighbor. Like we have an open house, like the mosque is always open. Uh, we do an open house. We do a lot of outreach. Uh, and then we're part of a bigger organization with the interfaith community working together uh, to focus on changes in Wake County. Um, we do care and we want to know our neighbors because there's unity in being together. There's a lot more unity when you know who's beside you. And for me, the belief Zainab took, it's, I believe in more or less ideas and more like, if you believe in something, it's more about practice. How do you take that practice into action? Like ideas are great, but the truth is if you believe in social justice, if you believe in the unity of a community, if you believe in a more stronger, cohesive, better, beautiful county for everyone, you better take action. And the action comes is when we open our houses, we open our doors, when we come stand up and say, this is what we believe in, we get people behind us and we say, this is what we are. It's not about like, we have to be pride, a pr- proudful, I said, not prideful, and, and, and be fair to everyone and not be demoting ourselves and values because when we do that, it, it, it takes less from us to stand for what we believe in. And we rather just, and that's something a lot of people that felt like the constant bargain of assumptions and the constant like news you hear, movies, series, everything that kind of sounds negative to us, uh, sometimes demote our value. And then sometimes a lot of communities probably feel that in different ways. And sometimes like we have to sometimes change that mindset and say, who said that? It's not true. We believe in ourselves. We come from, a long, long history of families and culture. We can all live together and we can live in the fabric of of society that is a lot better, but we have to take it into action. We'll keep listening after this. Uh, I'm curious about something. Uh, We baby boomers, particularly we white male baby boomers, when we were your age, were incredibly involved in the civil rights movement, many of us, or uh, anti-war movement, 
Vietnam War was still raging. And we were committed. And, and, and I, I see the enthusiasm in the two of you that, that I had all those years ago and many others had. And somehow along the way, hubris built up around us. And we had families and we had to make more money. We had to have a home. We had to have a different car. Had to put our children through school. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And somewhere the idealism was tamped down. How do you keep the idealism alive as opposed to letting someone steal that dream of idealism from you? My faith, my community, my family, and uh, meeting new people. There's, there's not many people or groups you can say that we are hated time and time and time again and somehow come out stronger. And that has everything to do with trusting in the plan of God and understanding that there's a reason we're here, there's a reason we're experiencing that, and that's because we're, we're trying to change that narrative, that you can create and live with compassion and morality, and those things can change society and bring back these things that our country was founded on. Um, and I have to say, like, I mean, you have the first Muslims that came here with the slaves. Um, that's where Islam started, and people tend to think that this is, you know, our first or second generation. This has been here forever. And I keep that because I have to. I don't have a choice. If I succumb to it, then I don't have a way forward. I am the oldest of six. If I don't do that, my siblings are going to continuously take this idea that their identity is wrong. And I don't want people to think, especially Muslim people, to think that they have to hide their identity, that they have to step away from it. So for me, it's about the next generation, um, also our generation, but I know that this fight is really for the next generation. Well, my encouragement, uh, and I hope you will receive this in the spirit that it's given, that you never hide who you are and that you keep wearing it uh, out where people see and people listen. Sometimes it's just tough getting people to listen. One last question. As you make your way through society as 28-year-olds, that's the first point. The second point is 28-year-old Muslims. The third point it's going to be easier for you, Waleed, simply because you're a male. I mean, that's just life right now. So the third point for you, Zainab, is the fact a young Muslim woman. What is the key thing you want people to understand that you sense that they do not? Man, that my confidence isn't arrogance. My confidence has stemmed from this society and that I am somebody who this is my home, that I don't have another home and that I am that, that I mean, this is this is a tough question because it's one thing. But I for me is that I'm not going to hide my identity, that my um, because I'm Muslim, I can be Muslim and American. People always growing up tended to ask me, are you Muslim? Or are you American? I was like, I'm both. And I can be both because my values and faith and morals fit in line with what this country was meant to be. And for me, it's just keeping that hope and inspiration for others. Well, it's, as I said it before, it's taking the belief of what you are. And I want people to believe more in themselves, like to be authentic and genuine in who they are and not to hide who they are. And that sometimes hurts to see a lot of potential out there. A lot of people have great things to bring, but their voices are dimmed. Their voices are not heard. 
because they're oppressed by other people, by other communities, by people in power, and, and it hurts. And then sometimes, as she said, the confidence is not arrogant. Sometimes I'm standing up for people that I know sometimes just can't have the ability to stand up and say, you know, this is how I feel. And we have to open the doors for them and open a platform for them to do so. And for me, it comes like this. And this is coming from an old man that I know thinking something, something I learned. He said, it doesn't matter all the knowledge, all the theories, you know, it's really at the end of the day about taking that and what you believe in into action. Like, it's not the knowledge, the book, the stuff. You can know a lot of things, but it's really about the practice and experience. That's how you learn how to connect the dots and make something happen, something work. May we all keep connecting dots. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Waleed Gerard, Zaina Baloch, thank you for making the effort to be here. And best to you, you make us better. Thank you for having us. Remember, connection can't happen when we all keep listening. Thank you for joining us. I'm David Crabtree. Keep Listening is a production of WREO News and part of the Capital Broadcasting Company Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.